Welcome back to Coast to Coast FC, the new Canadian soccer podcast focusing on all things CPL, Canadian Championship, and more. My name is Felipe Ojejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And today we're going to dive into match week number 13 of the Canadian Premier League as we go into some of the high-octane matches that we got for this weekend, go into some of the facts, the stats, and moments about each game. And there were a lot of moments to choose from. Before we pick our player of the week from this week's match day, make sure to follow us on our Twitter and Instagram at Coast to Coast FC and on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more so you know exactly when we upload. But without further delay, let's go straight into our first match, which was Pacific against Ottawa. I, this weekend, a little bit of personal information first, was uh, at a wedding on the island, and I managed to go and get away from the festivities to see this match of Pacific. And boy, what a a match it was, a very fiery affair. It finished 2-2 in a draw. Goals from Sam Salter in the 19th minute. Maya Guillere tied it up at the death of the first half and the 45th plus 5th minute before Amon Salouf probably had one of the most, uh, how do I put it nicely? Uh, maybe not just fortunate. out of character. Yeah, fortunate. There you go. Yeah. Fortunate goals uh, from a corner kick in the 49th. And then Ollie Bassett tied it up to 2-2 in a 53rd minute penalty in a game that could have seen quite a few more goals. Mike, I mean, I would like to see how you saw it from your point of view on the feed from One Soccer. Was it as intense of a match as it seemed like for me in the stadium? Because, uh, you know, we we saw bench clear out, which is something we don't normally yeah. see all the time in the CPL. Uh, usually we're pretty, like, decent Canadians and that uh, we keep it <laughs> nice and polite at times. But uh, yeah, we saw a bench clear out. We saw a red card. We saw a couple of penalties. What were your thoughts on on yeah this intense match that we saw? Yeah, I think we're seeing Pacific um, having to learn to deal with being the leaders now and the chased team. Um, as sides like Ottawa uh, are coming in needing points and needing to um, create a run for themselves, everyone's after a everyone's after points against Pacific now and to slow them down. Um, and it's they got uh, frustrated, um, and you could see that in the way they started to play. I mean, Ottawa really, really um, numbed their attack um, to a degree, and like for long periods of this. And I mean, the benefit for Pacific is if things aren't going in this free flowing, exciting football with Saluk and players um, like that who can really cause problems on the ground. They've got these big bullies in Dimitri Dedic and Ongaro, who they and they can be so um, so threatening from set pieces and Bradley Vliet's throws as well. And I mean, that's how they, they got into this game and they, they came away with two goals from it and the draw. But yeah, you could see, especially, I mean, it was, if, I don't know about you in the stadium, but I couldn't believe there wasn't another goal after that. It went 2-2 because it just got so, so much more fiery, so much more passion into this game of two teams really trying to get the win out of this one. Yeah, I was, uh, honestly, I think everyone in the stadium thought that there was going to be one more goal in it. 
because of the energy that was there. Everyone mm-hmm. was on the edge of their seats. Uh, I texted I, I texted you this, but like when the bench clear out happened, I jumped out of the stand and like <laughs> went to the field side to see what was going on, just because everything started to kick off and everything started to happen and the whole crowd is behind it. And even though it wasn't the best selling crowd in Pacific, still it was loud mm-hmm. enough that you could hear the the groans and moans from the home crowd mm-hmm. when things weren't going their way. And yeah, I mean credit to Ottawa because I feel like it's not the easiest of tasks to frustrate Pacific at Starlight Stadium, mm. but they did a really good job of it. I think, yeah, the way that Pacific started was a bit dull and they weren't creating as many chances as they usually do. And they weren't as incisive as we have seen previously. And uh, Ottawa, a big part of that was because of the way that Ottawa are doing. Ottawa are really good at pressuring. They were re- very smart about where to pressure, how to pressure. They made sure to close options off. I thought Salouf had a fantastic game. And he kept bypassing his defenders. But Ottawa were really good that every time he tried to cross or pass, it either was defended well or he had to pass backwards. Mm. And so kind of minimize the threat of him so i thought it was very very smart of ottawa for that um and for the most of the first half i think it was a fair fair reflection of how it was i mean the ottawa counterattack was i'm I, too simple i think for me yeah. it was it just it wasn't the best of deliveries headed out ollie bassett just picked it up and ran electric and he just wasn't ran it? and ran <laughs> yeah it was it, you don't usually see bassett as that kind of sprinter yeah. <laughs> profile, but he really put it on for that one. And uh, yeah, and and then it was a easy pass to Bevan, and Bevan a great finish. But it was all too easy for Ottawa, and uh, it definitely took a bit of the wind out of the sails for Pacific. Mm. Um, but like you said, even when things aren't going well, when they're getting frustrated, they can just switch the plan a bit. And mm. a better set piece this time, Mayogier rose above everyone else, and it was a great great header there was no chance for the goalkeeper in that one it was just yeah it was a fantastic set piece and i think at the end of the first half i thought this was a a fair result because ottawa really took it to the to the league leaders in this one Mm -hmm. but i mean the second half we have uh i think pacific became more aware of their shortcomings and started to ramp up a bit and started to uh play more that kind of free fluid football that we're used to. What were your thoughts on, on how the second half was? Yeah, you could see a bit of a shift in like, they've obviously had a little bit of a rocket up them from, uh, <laughs> from the manager at uh, half time and sort of given that bit of, sort of <laughs> the belief back in them. I think they were getting a little bit frustrated in what they were doing on the ball. Uh, in that first half and James Merriman's got them he got them back out and telling them to get back into what you're doing and in the first part of this first half they kept their heads quite well and they looked like the Pacific that we used to and they were trying to create chances and they <laughs> Salouf managed to like, like we said like he was he was the danger man on the other side Kakuta Mane just really wasn't in the game for me at all. He's really struggling to adapt uh, into this one. And you need those both wide players to be contributing when you've got someone like Ongaro at the front. When it's Adonijah Reed, he's dropping in, players are moving and you're playing a different style. But when you've got that target man and two wingers, you need both of them to be causing problems. And it was mostly just Salouf. And 
Uh, Ottawa did a great, made a great sort of tactical shift in bringing Acosta back to deal with him rather than out of his sort of DM role. And that made it really difficult for him. But Salouf shows his quality that he can still get chances no matter how much he's under pressure. And after it's an, after a good first goal from Sam Salter, I think he was kind of the one that's at fault for the Salouf goal. I don't know about yeah. you. I mean, it's come in and England's got the sun in his eyes to agree. It's a difficult in that stadium for the goalie at that that time of day, <laughs> that end of the pitch. But as he's ducking out the way at the front post, it just gave um, gave Pacific a, a, an easy lead, which shouldn't have really come for them. And it was it gave them the chance to sort of keep their heads a bit and finally be in front and say, right, now we need to try and do something. But credit to Ottawa for coming back. Yeah. And like you said, I think the the goal itself, I was it was at the opposite end to where I was. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get the clearest view. But all I saw was a cross come in and then Nathan Ingham kind of like bundle it into yeah, his he's own. Rushing goal. back, thinking yeah. oh, see saw to duck. And he's like, Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was just an absolute mess. Um yeah. and I feel bad for Ingham because obviously he he hasn't had a great uh, a week or so after with no. the last games as well, so he that must have uh, been really tough for him. But yeah, for for Pacific, I think like even Mane and Salouf they switched sides uh, for a little bit of period of time. I think also because maybe Merriman was seeing that Kikutamane wasn't doing much on mm. that side, and that was Ottawa's sort of weaker side because yeah. of how well um, Espejo was on that side, and I think. It worked for a bit and then they switched back, but it yeah, it felt like it was a bit too one-sided mm. with Pacific and and when you're playing on Garo, and Garo I think had another quiet match because it wasn't the play that they were trying to do wasn't really suited towards him. Because mm. Ottawa really good at stopping service from going into the box, and that's where he's the most dangerous. He's not the kind of player that can run onto a ball. And there was a few times where I saw both in the first and in the second half before he came off that they like sent a ball through for him to run on and i'm like why (laughs) he's not gonna get there (laughs) no he's not gonna get there it's not how he plays so yeah it's still like it's still an experiment that merriman has to try to figure out a bit i think playing with ungaro there because he he's a good plan b in in the sense of like you know things aren't going well just Hmm. hoof it into the box and he'll be there and hopefully he'll score he got those chances um from the set pieces didn't they there was a good exactly. header with him and Didich Didich heading it on and Ongaro hit the bar but you just feel like I don't know about you but I really feel like they need to be in more of a 4-2-3-1 there's got to be a 10 that wants to be up there with Ongaro because when you've got Aparicio and it was young the, uh, young and um, Yates this time wasn't it no, yeah. none of those three are just the my immediate reaction is get in the box. All three mix up their play and are great in the way they play, but they're not a ten. Like, <laughs> yeah, you need sort of a player that makes those sort of late runs because it feels like it's all a bit a bit too easy for the defenders to mark on Garo because it's always one against two. It's always him against the two center yeah. backs, and especially since Salouf likes to hug the width and then cut in. And Kikutamane doesn't it doesn't really sort of threaten all that much. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty easy. It's always going to be a one v two. So having another player, a ten, a sort of like almost play like a second striker. Yeah, to uh, just take some pressure off Angara so he can carve out the space and and do that tap. And I think that would that would suit his play a bit better. But yeah, 
credit to to Pacific for keep you know keep going at it, and they got a fortunate goal. But then you know it, it looked like that was going to spark them on to continue, and then mm-hmm. literally not a few minutes later, we got a penalty call. And for this one, that was right in front of where I was. I was I was not <laughs> like fifteen yards from it, and. I've seen that it was a soft penalty call. I think perhaps it was a soft penalty call, but I think as a ref, you kind of have to call it there. Mm-hmm. Again, another opportunity where VAR might be able to help a okay. ref there. But um, yeah, I thought it was Sean Young getting a little too physical there. And um, you know, when you're when you're when you feel that push on the back, when you feel that pressure on the back, and you're in the box, you're gonna fall, yeah. and you're gonna hope to get a penalty. So uh, it wasn't. You know, Salter was very clever in that way. Yeah. So I think it was the right call. And uh, Bassett with a great penalty. Mm. And and we'll talk about it in the future uh, in a little bit. But he took his time. He thought about it. (laughs) He was was very effective in the way that he took that. Said to keep it the wrong way. Something we we can't say about (laughs) that we're going to talk about a little bit. Because after that, the game got um, sort of opened up. It had a lot more opportunities we saw a lot more uh fire from the players ottawa were starting to become content coming away at the point and you could see that in the way that they were playing i mean they were wasting time even like in the first half they were wasting time mm-hmm. a little bit uh, ingwa the mcdonald ingwa was like I could see everyone was starting to get frustrated with him because he was taking his time on the throw-ins <laughs> and taking his time to do free kicks and stuff like that. Um, he had a really good match, though, yeah. defensively. I thought he did really well. And then, yeah, it just started to get super, super intense. And yeah. for you on the feed, what was that like seeing, you know, just Pacific getting frustrated, Ottawa frustrating them? Did you feel like Pacific were sort of, you know, falling into the traps that Ottawa are setting to kind of destabilize them and, and into playing these games? Yeah, I think like bringing in Gennario Daniels up front, I think Pacific were trying trying to like get the best of this chaos that started to appear and this sort of the, as the as the pressure was building for both sides. Um, because I think Ottawa, that's what they wanted. They want to hit on the break. They want to frustrate and they want the other team to get wound up and they 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 go and hit on the break and they they can do that, but. Pacific want the ball and they want to keep play and Gennaro Daniels can then add that little bit of aggression, a bit of cheekiness in some ways as he's dealing with other players. Um, and he got some chances as well. And they tried to get the better of it, but I think Ottawa themselves saw what Pacific were trying to do. They saw how they were trying to put them under pressure and they just sort of welcomed it on and said, we're like, we can deal with this. This is our game plan. You're You're playing into our hands. And I think that's what maybe like you've got that in the back of your mind when you're playing Ottawa that yeah things start opening up they're gonna like their their whole thing is set on to beat us on the break um I thought Baus uh, and Bassett were brilliant in the midfield and they they were able to then when you've got those players who can set that sort of free you've got wide players with a lot of pace like that's in the back of the mind for the Pacific players and I think that's what's got them more and more sort of agitated as they as things just weren't going for them <laughs> Yeah, and I think it all culminated in that uh, penalty call mm. where Espejo brought down Daniels. Daniels, I think I think he sort of brought that onto himself a bit mm. in the way that he was playing, kind of frustrating Ottawa in the same way. Got brought down. A little bit of controversy on whether it was actually in the box or not. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get a good look at it because I was 
pretty much at that point. I was like ground level, so I and and on the opposite side, so I couldn't yeah. really see. I thought for sure a red card, last mm. man, you pull him down like that. But I saw afterwards there was a bit of controversy on whether it was a pen. Was for, for you? Was it a pen or was it just outside the box? I think when he first sort of grabs him, it's outside the box, and it's hard. It's hard on the cameras when they're playing the replays to really see exactly where it was for me but yeah it's 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 another one where yeah that could well have been just outside did he start really like did the player feel the pull till after i like i'm not 100 sure but yeah very difficult one (laughs) to say exactly a tough one but the ref gave it Mm -hmm. and in very i think uncharacteristic form josh heard you know he comes on he wasn't in the starting 11 Mm -hmm. comes on midway through the second half and I thought he did pretty well in as in his uh, yeah. cameo, he to liven up Pacific more. I think the substitutes really helped Pacific to kind of bring energy back into the match to go on and win it. Josh heard the captain steps up, and as soon as the referee blows the whistle, like I, I barely saw the <laughs> yeah. penalty itself because I thought I, I was allowed a breath. Usually players take a <laughs> breath or something before, but as soon as the referee takes the whistle, Hurt is sprinting at the ball. Mm. And I think he's trying to catch Ingham off guard. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. It's a tactic that I think it can work, but you know that the keeper has practiced this. You know mm. the keeper knows sort of where your favorite side is. So... For me, I would think that it would be better to sort of check as you're doing a run-up, give, give a little bit of time so you can look up, see where the, the keeper is like leaning a bit, and then make your decision. Mm-hmm. The fact that he went so quickly, Ingham only had time to react to what he knew, which yeah. is to his left. And that <laughs> was exactly where Hurd went. Mm-hmm. And all in all, I thought it was a bit too rushed from Hurd. It was... It was a tactic. It didn't pay off. And I think he'll uh, definitely regret that, um, yeah. that he went that fast and didn't allow himself to get more time to, to get a little bit more composure for it. But yeah, Pacific, I think, spurned a really good opportunity to make it 3-2 in a way that reflected the kind of turn, the, the, the way that the, the tide turned in their favor in the second half. Um, but then, yeah, we got a very heated last 10 minutes yeah. how what were your thoughts on the on the way the game finished yeah it was uh pretty intense wasn't that it was Mario Daniels again I mean um Hurd and Reed when they came on created something with their pace on the ball brilliant um you mentioned obviously Hurd got the crossing for Gennaro Daniels getting to the front post and he uh unfortunately blasted it over from, from a Pacific point of view but he was involved in so much outside of build-up as well and he was there he got on he got in behind Espejo um to get him sent off um and when he was through on goal and then he just bothered everyone from then on and as much as they they struggled with that just one incident where they lost uh they lost Espejo and they gave up the penalty I thought they did quite well at dealing with him and that that led to Daniels throwing in this tackle while on a booking, which got everyone up. And I'm, I think he was very lucky to stay on the pitch um, after that. Um, it was it was just a sign that they were getting frustrated and Ottawa got to them, I think. Yeah. And I think if, if it wasn't for the bench clearouts, 
I think maybe he would have seen a second yellow, but there mm-hmm. was so much going on for the referee to take yeah. account with. Basically, <laughs> I, 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 I was on the side of one of the assistant referees, and the entire time he was just on his headpiece, just okay, scream, yeah. screaming like, "What do you see? What's going on? What do you see? Do you see this? Do you see this?" Like trying to keep track of everything, because um, it was so, it was so intense, and in that you know the referee, I think. Maybe it was because of the controversial calls, but I started to lose control of the match a bit, and then a lot of yeah. players started to get into into the face of the ref, and and then the biggest thing I think for me was that the ref called for eight minutes, I think it was, of added time, mm-hmm. and then I think maybe they played actual football two or three minutes of it because yes. the rest was just wasting time from Ottawa, just that prime game management from Ottawa, yeah. and the referee didn't account for it it seemed like didn't add any more time on top of it no that was super frustrating from a pacific point of view yeah watching back i think there must the there was a there was that period i think it was i mean correct me if i'm wrong i think it was when that melee all happens i think that went on for around four minutes of that eight minutes of stoppage time and he still blows the whistle at exactly eight minutes um it was that must be quite frustrating for pacific when you're going up against 10 men and it feels like the game's cut short by nearly five minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, because you could honestly feel the tension was so palpable that you mm. thought if they would have had that extra five minutes, Pacific might probably likely would have mm. had a chance to to make a three two. I think but, the ref um, probably just wanted to get out. It's like, yeah, it's like, let's yeah, go. <laughs> yeah. I think the ref was just done, just tired of it all, just all of the extracurriculars, the chaos, yeah. the yelling. Is I want to go home. Too much admin Which, at the end fair, of the game. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But uh moving forward, I mean for Pacific, it's not the worst result they have they could have. They're still on top by five points with two games in hand. It's nowhere near panic stations for them <laughs> with this. It's you could still see it as two points dropped and it might be in but for them, I mean, it's sort of like you said, they're they're the leaders now. They're the ones that are sort of comfortable at the top but that comes with its own pressure mm. what how do you feel like they're going to deal with that in the games moving forward because their next one is against a high-flying cavalry at home again it's going to be really interesting how they start to deal with this because obviously they have that start of the season where they get quite a lot of home games um so they've got this five-point cushion. They've got two games in hand. They could be eight points clear if they win. Uh, sorry, 11 points clear if they win these games in hand. It's a huge sort of advantage over others. But the thing now is dropping two points and getting a draw seems like a defeat almost for Pacific mm. when they've got setting such high expectations and they're trying to get as far ahead as possible. So that's just going to bring pile on more pressure and teams are going to go there knowing that, okay, well, Pacific are the favorites. Let's make it difficult and let's see what we can get. And as other teams can grow into the game, they can frustrate Pacific more. And that's just something they're going to have to learn to deal with. Um, Yeah. Coming up with cavalry coming to them. I mean, they played them twice early in the season in really close games. Um, And then a trip to Halifax, who we'll get onto later in this, um, in this podcast, who are, themselves in some great form and you've got to go to their place for that it's a long old trip um so it's not going to be easy for pacific and they've really got to i think this this game to come away with a point is fantastic i think and as well as the learning of you'll get from how teams are going to start to really treat you as as a front runner 
Yeah. Yeah. And and with such a gap, it it makes it seem like it's easier because you know that you have like potentially 11 points ahead. But mm-hmm. also there's that pressure. It's like, well, I we have to get there. Yeah. We have to make it 11 points ahead. <laughs> you know, we have to win these two games in hand now because if not, then it'll will only be five points ahead, which in and of itself is not bad. But considering what you could have had, yeah. that could have such a toll on, on your own mentality. So, yeah, a, a tough couple of matches ahead for Pacific. But I think, yeah, if they come away with victories in those mm-hmm. two really tough games then they might be wrapping up this league much earlier than we yes. expected. Um, and for Ottawa, I mean, it was a pretty decent performance from Ottawa defensively. I think they were mm. really good. It was just two set pieces that all season they've been struggling with defending set mm. pieces. Uh, so I think it's something that I don't want to say it's to be expected of Ottawa, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you can sort of be like, all right, well, yes, they struggle with set pieces, mm-hmm. but aside of uh, outside of that, I think they defended really well. They countered really well. That counterattack goal was, mm-hmm. was a perfect counterattack goal. Um, but it's still about now consistency because for them, this is their first draw. Uh, in, I think in the league, since they faced Valor in late April, <laughs> ever since then, it's been loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, win, loss, 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 win. Right? Yeah. It's just like it. They, they either win or lose. They like they can't get consistency. It's like mm. their their form is a roller coaster right now, one that they can't seem to be able to get off from. Yeah. For you, what do they need to do to try to be able to find some more consistency? That they, they have a home game next, which is great for them. They can sort of build off this good draw, and it, but it is against Valor who themselves have been inconsistent. So what do you think they have to do to try to go in a little bit of a, just a run of not just win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. Yeah. It's going to be, it's interesting because so much of this really good stuff we've spoken about in this game from Atletico is without the ball. (laughs) And then, which goes great against Pacific because Pacific want the ball. But when you come up against other sides who are, let's face it, like, Pacific may be running away with it, but the rest is you you can go into most of these games and it's you can't look at the team sheets and go, oh yeah, this this team's gonna win, X team's gonna win, the home team will win. Each game it could go either way at the moment. And when you're for Atletico, when you're not when you're relying on playing its possession hungry teams, it can be a little bit little bit difficult for them. And that's what they really need to work out. How can we how can we control games regularly? Because we can't just rely on being defensive and hit on transition. They've shown it in some matches where they can be really good on the ball and they can dictate play, but it's it's too infrequent, is it, at the moment? Yeah, and as the league starts to go towards the halfway point, mm-hmm. it's it, it's trying it's trying to find out what works in all situations or having more plans. Like we've said, we don't know which Ottawa is showing up because it's a different opponent, it's a different situation and mm. whether they adapt or not, is sort of completely up to them. And you want to be able to not expect what they're going to do, but sort of expect that they're going to be competitive and they're going to go in there and, and, you know, get, have a good show for themselves because right now they're second to last. They're in seventh place with 12 points they're only four points off fifth which is in halifax mm. where halifax currently sits 
But if they keep being this sort of inconsistent, then there's no guarantee that they'll be, you know, in that top five when so many teams are going on runs. And yeah, mm-hmm. you can't expect a team to, you know, even Pacific, you can't expect a team to be winning every game mm-hmm. for a long spell. You're going to have periods of, of, you know, where you win a bunch of games and so maybe a couple of periods where you lose and draw, but at least they're going on these runs where a string of three, four good results are that we haven't seen from Ottawa basically at all this season. So as long as they can string maybe two or three games with wins, like two wins and a draw, then that can kind of propel them back up the tables. But yeah, it'll be a tough task for them. But now moving on from this match to our second match, we're going into a, the Halifax match, a Another really good game. This one was one I was not able to see, unfortunately, because I was uh, on the ferry. Uh, but this was, uh, looking back on it, a fantastic win for Halifax. They won 2-1 over Forge with goals from Massimo Ferrin in the 25th minute. Kyle Becker equalized in the 88th minute in a goal that everyone sort of thought that was going to be the last goal of the match. But upstep Daniel Nimick in the 90th minute plus 10, a.k.a. the 100th minute, steps up to take a penalty. How's your nerve, lad? <laughs> and a wonderfully taken penalty to spark celebrations mm-hmm. uh, across the stadium. It was, uh, yeah, uh, for you, I mean, you you watched this game uh, live. What did you think about this match between Halifax and Forge was it the same old issues from Forge or was it that just Halifax were just playing on another level like they have been the last couple of games it's interesting with the the pitch quality uh on a sort of a soggy day in Halifax the pitches and there's uh being uh being a grass pitch is that can make it a little bit more challenging for players so both I mean both sides though have to deal with it so it's uh, not an excuse for one um but I felt that as much as on the ball it can be made a little bit more difficult Halifax did really well at putting them under pressure quickly again their their intensity uh, in the game makes it made it more difficult for Forge like if you if you if you haven't got those extra seconds to control the ball and look up on a slippery pitch then you're not going to be able to link up the play you're not going to be able to do what your game plan is and I think that's what Forge found they grew into the game and both sides adapted to what um adapted to the conditions quite well. Um but Halifax just I mean they really made it difficult for them. Forge really didn't have much uh in the first half, especially. Uh and it it, it took them a while to come and a long-range effort from Carl Becker to um finally get the chance um um in the back of the net, but this it was an, it was another um another time where some players just were went a little bit missing in games for forge uh again tristan borge is one of them yeah and even from the highlights it kind of seemed like most of the opportunities that were happening for them were happening from the the players that are the only ones that have sort of really shown mm-hmm. up i mean i think jordan hamilton had a pretty decent match um from the from what i saw again it was just they kept having opportunities and they kept skying it wide and mm-hmm. and high and 
And again, you have to rely on your captain, Kyle Becker. We've mentioned it now a few times or last few weeks where it feels like he's their sort of get out of jail card for them. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like come in and, and save this for us and, 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 and see this out or, or get us a point, get us three points. And he shows up again and he's had a few, he had a few chances from range. I think he had one on his left that he kind of hit a little high and wide. This one much better on his right. But again, when you're relying on, on your captain to do it all, it's, it's, I think a lot of pressure on him and Mm -hmm. to, to try to do it. And these players, you have such good players. That's the thing. Forge have such good players that aren't, stepping up for them that aren't playing the way that they we know that they can play players like yeah like Tristan Borges, Schwanier, um Hajabrapur, Jensen, players that are usually really good, I feel like haven't been showing up in the last few weeks. And in this one it was again another case of Forge sort of controlling the match a bit, getting more possession, having more some more chances. Because if I if I I'm pretty sure yeah if I look at the stats they had sixteen shots, but only five on target. Yeah, so many of their shots went high and wide, and they were struggling to just keep it low. And it's again that lack of finishing, that lack of composure in the box that has been troubling them all season that cost them again. I think this game and Halifax for credit to them in the way that they played because they I played without fear it looked like even from just the highlights so the way that they were playing and massimo Ferran, oh my lord what a performance it felt like every highlight that halifax had he was involved what was your thought on his performance the way that halifax kind of dealt with forge's pressure yeah you can see when like Patrice Geiser knows. I mean, the Ferrin just he stays on every match. Like he never seen he's never one of those players that gets subbed out, even if he's having a quieter game. In this one, he was much, much more busy. And the quality he gets, and Razor Rama had such a difficult time against him. Because every time he was getting the ball, he just drives. And he uh, like and no matter what pitch you're on, like when the player's running at you and forcing you backwards every time, it's it, it's gonna be difficult to deal with. And we know that he wants to cut in onto his right and the defender knows that, but he runs with such pace that you don't know when that little cut inside is going to happen and when you'll get the chance to put a foot out because you could either bring him down or he gets, or he skips past you. Um, so really difficult to deal with. And it was such a good, good finish for the goal, really good quality finish um, to give them the lead. Um, and I think it was him who got fouled for the um, penalty as well, took it down so well. There's moments where he just receives the ball and his touch is brilliant so that he can continue running at the player. It's not that he's bringing it down and then starting. He's in full flow when he's receiving the ball. And it was, a, yeah, a fantastic game from him. And he's a, he's he's one that you, you can't take your eyes off of. Like you can't, if he goes a little bit quiet, you know that as soon as he gets the ball, bang, he's at you again. Yeah, and it felt like that was Farron with full confidence. Like, mm. that was Farron, just the way that he was playing, he knew what he wanted to do, even before he got the ball. I mean, his goal, the way that it was, the fantastic 60-yard ball from Daniel Nimick, 
that was i mean we've seen two mm-hmm. defenders this weekend put like massive mm-hmm. over uh diagonal balls for strikers for, for attackers to latch onto and score the second of which we'll talk about in the vancouver match but a fantastic ball from daniel mm-hmm. mimic but still farron had it all to do really incredible first touch to take it away from rama who mm-hmm. was running back like facing the the opposite side so he had this turn and already mm-hmm. at that point Farron was ahead of Rama, a very physical player. We've seen it's not easy to to outmuscle Rama yeah. because of how physical it is. But Farron skips away from him, and a fantastic shot to get past Henry. It was it was honestly like the quality of the goal itself, the touch, the run, the shot. You see that at the highest level. That's the yeah, kind of goal that you good. expect in the Premier League and the yeah. Champions League. And to see that here is just wow! It was so um, fantastic to see. Mm-hmm. From my perspective, at least, and yeah, I just I think it kind of enveloped the way that Halifax were playing. They were so resilient. Uh, that was a word that came up when I looked at the highlights and 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 saw the stats and everything. It just seemed like they were so resilient to deal with the pressure from uh from Forge. And I know one player that that you really liked, and I would love to hear your more thoughts on him is uh, Caligari. Mm-hmm. Uh, his performance in the midfield for Halifax. Yeah, he's just a class class act on the ball. Um, you you know he's going to be calm and distribute it really well, but he's he's not afraid of the other stuff. And I think him and Omar make a really great partnership of just trying to sort of bully like bully play, like opposing attacking players. Um, Sissoko didn't ha- couldn't really get in the game too much. Um, Kyle Becker as well. Like there's periods where I mean he's working hard, but. The, the Caligari and Omar make it really difficult um, and they protect that defensive line really well. They're there immediately when um, Halifax are trying to play the ball out. So you've got Dan Nimick and um, Lowry on the ball, receiving it from Filion and Caligari and Omar are moving around wanting to turn and they receive it and they turn and they try and break. And they've you've mentioned there, obviously, like they seem quite stable. We remember when we spoke with Patrice Geiser, he has that, at a first team against the rest and you're all trying to get in the first team um, in their training sessions. And at the beginning of the season, that kept rotating quite a bit and you saw different changes of players. But this sort of 11, it's not the same exactly every week, but you can start to see, right, these players are starting to cement their roles in this team now. And they're really, really creating a great bond, which has got them on a great run of football. Yeah, and you can see that these players, maybe because of the way that Patrice was playing with, you know, I, you know, it, it, he even said if a player isn't playing to fullest, isn't giving everything, he'll just be put to the second team. Mm-hmm. And you can see now that this eleven, I think the only sw- switch that they had was Timoteo at left back. Mm-hmm. I think the rest was the same as last last week's game. These players clearly are showing how much they want it, how much they're fighting for it, and it's really coming off in in like a bountiful splendor yeah. for them because <laughs> they have now they have had three straight home wins it's first mm. time ever for halifax in five years that they have three straight home wins so clearly something's finally clicked something's finally mm. working for halifax especially at home and you know it, it obviously maybe at times you have to wait until the very 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 last minute to seal it <laughs> Um, but it's still, it's about getting there. It's about getting to the, the getting to those opportunities and then taking those opportunities. Mm. And let's talk about that penalty because that was another one that had a lot of controversy in it mm. because originally the 
two things, two things about it. One, did Tristan Henry actually take him mm-hmm. down? Was there enough contact for him to actually fall and call the penalty? And then the second one, that play went on. I think Callum Watson had the follow-up and shot and was cleared off the line. I don't know if it was Manjakar James who, who cleared it off, but the play sort of continued for a little bit, and then the referee called the penalty, and you could see all the Forge players starting to growl <laughs> yeah. the ref because of possibly because there wasn't enough contact, possibly because the play went on, you already played advantage. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Did you think it was a good call from the ref, good play from the ref? Did you think that it was a penalty? Was there enough contact from from Henry or was it more of a dive? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I really think the ref got it all right, personally. Like, from my point of view, I, I don't know the letter of the law on what's considered where the advantage is given. Like, but for me, like, I felt it was a penalty. I thought Henry's come, uh, Tristan Henry's come out and he's, he's, he's made a touch. The player can't, like, is a, where, no, no matter how heavy a touch that is, he's, he's, I think he got to the player, um, off and Ferran got the ball first and took it away from him. And, for me, yeah, you give the penalty, you see an advantage. If a player shoots and doesn't score, is that an advantage? Like for me, it just seems like the referee's seen it, gone, I'll give them the chance for advantage. They haven't got an advantage, penalty. And I think for me, I don't know if that's the exact rules of the game and the exact legal call of a referee, but I think that's the right one personally. I agree with you. I also mm. think that that was the right call. I think... The referee, because we've seen it before where a referee like has the whistle in their mouth, but they're waiting. Yeah. And it's not like they give the advantage signal where they put their two arms up. They're just waiting to see what happens. They, I think you're allowed to wait a few seconds to see if there's an opportunity for advantage. Mm. And then you can give the advantage. But even if you give advantage, if the play stops, if the play dies, you can call it back. Yeah, And so I think even in both ways they look at it, Watson shot, it was blocked. The play died because it went out, like out and over. The, the chance was gone, so the referee pulled it back and called it. Yeah, I think either way you look at it, I think it's still a correct call. I can see um, why replay. someone would say no. I, I can see why someone would say, well, they had a shot, it was blocked. That's an advantage, they had a shot. I can see why you, you could make that argument, but for me, I'm with you. I, I, I like that it was called back. I know in rugby, I'm not a big rugby fan, but I know the referee has a certain amount of seconds and then they can say, right, nothing's really come from it. So you haven't scored a try or anything. So we'll go back to the foul. Like I, I agree with you on, on, uh, on what the referee did as well. Yeah. I think it was, we, we've, we've had our fair share of criticizing referees, yeah. but we also <laughs> have to call it out when they do a great yeah. job. And I think, yeah, the referee did a fantastic job in this instance. And uh, obviously it was crowded around. There was a lot of arguing. There was a lot of debating. It got up to, I mean, the penalty itself happened in the 96th minute. So by the time <laughs> Daniel Limick set the ball down, it was basically the 100th minute. Mm. And to have that much pressure on you, to have, you know, at your home ground, everyone at the edge of the seat, you could win it for, for the record first, yeah. <laughs> you know, back to back to back home wins at home. Like there was so much writing on the penalty. And he just steps up and coolly puts it into the back of them. That's sending Tristan Henry the wrong way. There was no sense of rushing. There was no sense of nervousness. And then, wow, the celebrations were incredible. Just 
all of the players crying around him. You saw Jan, uh, Jan Fillion like doing a giant slide across the pitch <laughs> and then almost breaking his back, celebrating to the skies. Uh, it was, yeah, I mean, even as a neutral, it was fantastic to see mm. um, the this, this scenes, especially at full time too. I mean, everyone rushed out to celebrate. The players fought so hard for that and they got a third mm. win back to back to back. So it was fantastic for uh for Halifax and and yeah it was great to see those scenes but um moving forward I mean for Forge they had a win last week as the uh, exciting win for three yeah. but even then we mentioned it's like well it wasn't as convincing they they almost threw it away you know is this really Forge back or is this just a momentary kind of relief in a still slump that they are undergoing and it seems like it's that second one because it's still sort of the same issues that we saw before last week, even in last week. It's still the same things that that are are causing problems for Forge, and and now it's another defeat for them. And I think you you wrote like that uh, in our notes here that it's a tenth time that Forge has conceded first this season, which is the most in the CPL yeah. for this season. And, and that's from 14 you know, games as well. So, and that's like, from that's 14 incredible. games. Yeah. And it's so unlike Forge. Mm. And, you know, having only one win in the last seven matches. Next week, they're facing York United. At And in York, mm. it's a, it's a, it's the, what do they call it? The 416 Derby or something like that? I can't remember now. The kind no, of 905 Derby. 905 yeah. Derby. The 905, 905 Derby. Yeah. That's the one. I'm from Ontario. I should know that. The 905 <laughs> Derby. Um, but it's going to be an intense match. It's you know York United are are a tough team to play, especially at York now. And mm-hmm. for them, it's another another tough match where you are wondering what what is going to happen, what's going to change mm-hmm. for them to go back to their old ways. Because you know slumps they're not always permanent. You know you don't want to over dramatize and be like, oh, it's just lost. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you know, there's a shift when one or two bad games starts to develop into a run of bad games, starts to develop into oh, just a poor season in general, and that can slowly tip the scales. And so there's very much a possible domino effect here in play without, you know, trying to catastrophize <laughs> Forge too yeah. much. But for you, for Forge, what's what? what is happening <laughs> basically yeah, it's, it's, what's going on what what can they do to 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 improve because even last week's game it wasn't all that much of an improvement they just got a few goals which they struggled to do in the weeks before let's say it's inconsistencies again like town campbell gets two goals last week and then this week it's just not he's not a factor in the attack like and was replaced by camp um is replaced by hamilton who has a a decent-ish performance, but they're they're not a consistently threatening side in that clinical moments, and they're relying on shots from range um, to to get them back into games. Rubens Pasias is a young player; he's not going to continue. It would, like last year, he was great. He's not going to. That doesn't mean his progress is linear. He's not going to get better and better and better and better every game. He's got challenges to overcome. Um, Tristan Borges not been in the game again. He's he's been really disappointing um this season. Um and then some of these other players are sort of they're not 
players that are going to dominate games, but they have the ability to. Sissoko and Kane, they look like they have good quality, but they're not going to be 90 minutes a match dominating and like every week. They they need to get themselves together as a team. And at the moment, like they don't have that fear factor that they've that they they hoped they would have, I think, this season. Sides of can pick out some weaknesses, they can frustrate Forge and they can get at them at times. And I think that's just the Forge we're gonna see this year. Um the way it's going at the moment. I can't like it's really hard to imagine them going on this run like Pacific are at the moment, like right now. Um they're just they're just a I mean it's not like they're bottom of the league and struggling. They're just a a decent team in the Canadian Premier League this season. They're not the best team. Yeah, and usually you would see when teams have this, you'd be like, okay, they're just having a bit of an off moment, mm-hmm. and it's not that big of a deal. But considering that Forge have been in every final yeah. <laughs> uh, since the uh, since the inception of this league and have won four out of the last five, it is a big deal for them. Mm-hmm. And obviously fans will try to downplay it, and the players and the coach will try to downplay it. But it's still, I think, valid to to be concerned about what's Definitely. going on at Forge mm. and what can they do to try to get better. Will they be able to recover from this? Mm. Or is it just gonna be a long and painful season for for the rest of it? I mean, it's not they still have the second half of the season where they can sort of jump back and recover and, and climb those places to get into, you know, to make sure that they're in the playoff standings uh at the end of the season. But yeah, it's it's just interesting to see how how much they've fallen in, and it'll be. I'm I'm very curious to see how they'll rec- if they can recover and how they will if they do. Yeah, but, I think uh, like you say, they'll be a they will be a playoff team at the end of the year. It's not like they've dropped yeah. off so badly. They'll they'll be drop points, and I'm sure they'll go on a little run at some point. But and but they they're not going to be winning. The league in the regular season but once we get into sort of knockout football then all of a sudden you they could go on and win it again like they've yeah, got they could just, you know they could just be there, the forge of old yeah <laughs> yeah it's still it's still they still got it in there um but for halifax now like we mentioned three back-to-back home wins for them fantastic for them fantastic for patrice geyser who you know he talked about like one out of a uh, hundred times he questions his own philosophy, but the other mm. 99 times he know that it works. He just, he, you just need a little bit more luck. He just needs a little bit more time and credit to him. It, it's starting to come good. Mm. Three back-to-back wins at home. They had a good draw at York the week before next week. They faced Vancouver away. Halifax have yet to win a game away. All of their three mm. wins this season have come at home. So I'm going to be very interested to see how they kind of take this form that they're on and against Vancouver, who, you know, whose home form mm-hmm. bar that one forge performance hasn't been fantastic. If they say, all right, we're, we're in it for this one. This is going to be the one where we're, we can have a win away from home and show that we're serious regardless mm-hmm. of where we play. For you, what do you expect from Halifax now moving forward? I think with the consistency of who's who's starting, um, everyone seems to be on the same page now. It's it's obviously going to take a team a lot of time to with the amount of rotation at the beginning of the year and a new coach and a new system. 
they just seem to they seem to have all bought in. You don't you you look at other teams who make um, big changes or bring players in who just aren't settling, who don't look like they fit the system or don't look like they really are committed to what they need to do. But you don't look at this Halifax team and think, oh, there's they don't look like they like each other or they don't look like they're buying in. All of them you saw in the celebrations at the end, like you mentioned, when they scores, they're all there, like arms around each other, throwing each other around, patting each other on the backs. Like, and you can see it in you can see it in their faces how much they're like, we've earned this. We like, and it's not just you've done this, it's we've done this together. Um, and I think that's hopefully for them um and their supporters, it just that could be we could see a good start for a, a good little run coming um, from uh, Halifax. Yeah. And I think that uh, the way that they are playing, they deserve to be in the playoff spots. Mm. And if they continue this going, then they will, they can even push on to try to go into that second or third spots because they have the quality. I think the quality of football that they're playing is, is good enough to be there. It's just whether they can keep that consistency, not only at home, but away from home as well. I think but, that before, uh, you, uh, before you move on, I forgot to uh, make a note of it, but uh, Jean Morelli's, uh, I saw a tweet uh, today, he's on his way into Halifax. Um, and he should be uh, there in the under-23s game um, this week. So he's looked like an extra reinforcement there to add yeah. a little bit more depth to the team uh, on his way. Yeah, if he, if he, if he comes in and he, he starts to fire on cylinders like he did before his his injury, then yeah, Halifax could go way above and beyond the, yeah. what was originally expected of them. So yeah, they're going to be a very exciting team to continue to follow. But moving on now to our third game. Uh, this is the Valor game against Cavalry. This one incredibly finished 2-0 to Cavalry uh, away from home with goals from Meyer Bevan in the sixth minute and Gote and Tigny in the 90th minute. Two goals on either side of the game and a, I don't want to say it's a, it was a slog in the middle. I think it was just a very well executed game plan from Cavalry to frustrate Valor throughout it was it was a, i think uh, the way that i saw it it was a perfect tommy wilden jr match where yeah. you score early then you then you defend really really well you try to break on the counters and you just frustrate the opponent throughout the game and you will get that chance and they did get a couple of chances yeah. but in the end it was at the 90th minute through insignia that they got that that chance and yeah it was i think clean sheets Playing that way, I think Tommy Wielden, that's his perfect dream of a match for him. <laughs> and uh, he got exactly that. So it's it's great. It was great from his perspective. But uh, for you, I mean, the first half, Meyer Bevan got that goal. Did you feel like Valor were, were a bit lackluster at the beginning? Were they still sort of warming up uh, to, to the way that we've sort of seen them play? I mean, at least defensively, they're usually very sound. This felt kind of like a bit of an easy one to concede what were your thoughts yeah they were a bit of a step behind weren't they the the, the cross that came in um for bevan it, it wasn't whipped in um and the defenders just weren't in position very well um to cover the movement of bevan and he reacted quickly and gave himself the chance to get a shot of goal whereas the defenders just didn't react quickly enough and it just, yeah, they. Uh, it's it's another one of those times where it's like, oh, a goal against sparks you into life, but come on, maybe the maybe the opening whistle should do that for you. Um, yeah. So, and uh, like you say, I mean, they they managed it so well, didn't they? Like 
you can we've mentioned it and i'm sure like uh, like teams around the league see it like valor are a very good side but they're not clinical in the final third regularly and they and they're they've they've got weapons um in Yungabire, Ujoa's got a lot of pace. Siaj moves around quite a bit. They can bring others in, but you can identify and try and isolate them um, a bit. And I think Cavalry did that really well. Um, they got their chances, Valor, but they they didn't have a huge amount of um, clear-cut ones. I mean, Camden did fantastic on the left um, of the Cavalry defence. Aired um, when he was there, um, did well on the right, really limiting them. Um and then, yeah, counter-attacking in a break and Intigny's pace just just puts people under so much pressure. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, for, for Valor, when they did have chances, I mean, Carducci made five saves in mm-hmm. this game. Uh, he had a great match. I mean, Uyoa had an, uh, just an absolute sitter uh, off that corner kick where it just fell right to his Gosh, feet yeah. and it bounced <laughs> like he had no idea what was going on he just yeah. like he was just surprised the ball got to him mm. he was not prepared at all and it bounced off right at carducci and carducci smothered it and they were like oh i crossed a line there were protests but no, no not at all it was very it was it was an easy save for carducci mm. uh but yeah just valor lacking that that uh, that's clinical nature in the box consistently. And I think Nyungabira did well. He had that fantastic volley in the first half yeah, uh, that Carducci had to save. It was a very good save. Mm. And he created a lot of chances as well. Very dangerous. They have a great player in Nyungabira, but he can only do so much. He can only do so much to try to get his team to score. And yeah. the other players, again, need to try to step up to to share that load with him to uh, that goal scoring load because he he's not like a, a deathly finisher mm. he is that tricksy winger that that can like when he gets that opportunity he can score and he arguably should have um if it wasn't for carducci but yeah just valor were were missing a little bit of that they they did have i mean debrian came back for them and i think he played quite well um but I, overall, I think Valor were were struggling a bit uh, to to score. But I think a lot of that has to do with Cavalry. I think Cavalry just played the game plan that they Tommy Wilden Jr. always wanted to play. What were your thoughts on on Cavalry's defensive performance, their resilience across across the ninety minutes? I'm Dan Klomp had an inc- really good game. Cobbs at the back as well, and it's not just. It's not just uh, like dealing with attacks; they're also just really calm when they get the ball as well. So that I think um, amongst that group, um, defensively, they just even under pressure, they show that they are confident in what they're doing and they're confident in dealing with it. And when you've got that sort of confident confidence emanating around the team, it helps you in dealing with these dealing with these attacks. And they did so well, and they've. They've really given themselves a good platform with Charlie Trafford and um, Jesse Daly, I thought was really good again, um, who just pester so much as attacks mm. come forward. You know, they mm. they just they get themselves in there. I mean, I can't remember what minute Charlie Trafford got booked, but I think it was quite early. But he continues throughout the game doing the same thing, but without like while on this possible like one one wrong move and I could be off sort of thing, but still manages to do it throughout the match. And I think they've they've just 
really got a nice group there now as a starting group. I mean, they obviously need to add a few little under 21 minutes as they go. Um, but Indigny's bringing that. Um, they've let Cantav go, but Camargo got his chance in there and um, along mm. with Ali Musi there. And it was uh, so dear. like they, it could have been so much more looking at it. I mean, it took the incredible burst down, breaks away from two players, lays it across and Camargo was it about six yards out, just scuffs it completely wide. And yeah. it's horrific. <laughs> but they've got that defensive structure that, you know, okay, well, other, other teams, maybe, like Ottawa, they have to take them. They have to take their chances when they come. But Cavalry are still creating more. And they, they seem to feel a little bit more confident in their ability to like weather the storm and create some chances that are going to be better chances and goal-scoring opportunities, not just, oh, there's an attack, but it's fizzled out, or there's an attack that is shot over and wide. It's They, they seem to be able to create things as well, which really is really getting them, making them a really difficult team to the Pacific need to be wary of when they come to visit next week. Yeah. And I think a huge part of that is that they have a good focal point in Meyer yeah. Bevan. It's the way that I mean, we, we've seen strikers struggle in systems across the Canadian Premier League this season, but Meyer Bevan is not one of them. Meyer no. Bevan, seven goals now yeah. in the season. He's a top goal scorer, obviously the early favorite for the golden boot, but it, it feels like he is in tune with the way that, cavalry are playing you know having uh, Ali Musi being this more of a creative player he had a great opportunity to set up Joe Mason when yeah. uh, Meyer Bevan came off uh that Mason sort of like stumbled by didn't really yeah. get his shot off well but um but you have Ali Musi who can be that uh, that creative outlet as well mm-hmm. Sergio Camargo we know what he can do and in Tigny you have these players that are helping Meyer Bevan and Meyer Bevan is being complimented by them and he's being brought into the by them. Even the wingbacks, I mean, Frazier wasn't the best cross, but it managed yeah. to work. And uh, Meyer Bevan did very well to finish it off. But mm-hmm. that that that's just what you need. You need to bring the striker into the game and make him an important part, that focal point that I think a lot of the times we haven't seen with the kind of the big strikers in other teams. And uh, I think that's something that. Tommy Wilden Jr. has done very, very well with Meyer Bevan, and he's and he's getting the the fruits of his labor with the goals that he's putting in. So I was very impressed by the way that that they were playing with that. And I mean, yeah, I, I if they continue with that, then Meyer Bevan might be the top goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Uh and Cavalry are just gonna continue rising up the ranks and Forge FC are gonna have to look behind them. Even Pacific are, like you said, next week are going to have to be wary of them because they're starting to, to come good as well. Um, and But yeah, towards the end of the game, we saw a, a flurry of chances really out from, from both sides before Antigny's, um goal at the death that kind of sealed the game. What were your thoughts on the closing stages of the game from both teams? Yeah, it was a, it was a good um, finish from... Um... Insignia was just kind of similar to his one last week, wasn't it? He sort of arrives a little bit later. Um, and uh, the defender sort of taking his eye off him as he's not just bursting in, he's not in the front, he's hanging on his back and moving, and it was it's a good finish. Um, but yeah, it opened up a little bit more uh as it got to the end, I think more than Tommy Wilden Jr. would have liked and would have probably been so <laughs> pretty happy that um they managed to cope with and manage the game 
um, relatively well in that last bits to end up getting the winner. But it just shows, I mean, it shows Fowler have got quality. It's just that just not clinical enough at the moment. Um, and it's they, they need they need to work something out because they can't chase games. They the like cavalry as well. I think when cavalry take an early lead and manage and try to manage the game. But if they fall behind both these sides, sometimes it can be difficult, depending on the the opponent. Cavalry have done it sometimes, but um Valor especially, if you fall behind, it's hard to see them sort of changing things and working their way back in. Yeah, and that's why moving forward for Valor is going to be, I mean, especially next game, it's going to be such a an interesting matchup because it's probably two of Bar, maybe Forge, the most inconsistent sides mm-hmm. that we've had this season going up against each other. And I'd like to go <laughs> Ottawa against Valor. And it's, yeah, it's a case of, you know, Ottawa, it's it's sort of a lack of, of consistency in their identity and the way that they play. And Valor, it's they have an identity, but it's a lack of consistency in the attack. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be very interesting to see how they get on. But yeah, I think you're right in that Valor just, they have quality. It just hasn't clicked for them yet. And I don't know about you, but I feel like, you know, we're getting towards the halfway point of the season. Eventually you're going to have to either, you know, hit, change things up. Mm. or have to try to rely on that it'll click eventually but when is eventually too late you know so i don't know i mean for you do you see the way that valor are playing as something that can be sustainable or like do you think their luck will change or turn around and get they'll get a few more goals or or your thoughts it's difficult with them because i i think what they're really struggling with is how to use their striker like in possession like you've got Anthony Novak who's like an experienced number nine in the box doesn't need too many touches but will look to finish something Siaj is a different player who moves around he's still physical he can still get involved but none of their midfielders or wide players seem to be able to create a good link with them at the moment the striker's always on their own like they where often they'll play with wingers who want to stay wide and come in with the ball. And so like there's and the three midfielders aren't bombing into the box regularly. So it's really difficult for their striker to get into the game and really be dangerous throughout. Um so I think that's that's what they need to work out. I think Joa that um obviously that was that miss from the yard which Carducci say that you mentioned from the corner it just sort of highlights that I mean it's not his fault that he missed but they're just not like there's no sort of killer instinct in the box everyone's sort of watching it's oh there's a chance like and it's not like it's not like I mean that one's a bit of a harsh example but when they get into the box so often they're, they're not as aggressive and getting to the ball first and knowing that they can score yeah, they're just they look like they're not prepared mm. for it. It's they're snatching at chances. They're lacking that composure that you need uh, in the box, especially at a at a competitive level. Yeah, and yeah, it, it, I think you know again next week against Ottawa, I'll be interested to see if they can uh, try to find that or if it's going to be another weird game between the two of them. But uh, yeah, but for Calvary, I mean, Calvary now have a few good results under their belts. Uh, they had that loss against Halifax uh, two weeks ago, but, you know, they have 
the week before that, they had that win against Vancouver. Last week, they won against York. This week, they win against Valor. Next week, they're going to Pacific. But we've seen this week that a team, if a team sets up well and get goes after Pacific, even at home, you can have some successes. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it's going to be a an interesting tactical battle between that because of the way that you know that Calvary is very physical, that if Calvary get an early goal, they will frustrate Pacific mm-hmm. throughout the 90 plus minutes. So for Pacific, it's going to be huge to not give up that early goal, but it's not always easy when mm-hmm. Calvary are throwing everything at you to try to do that. So for you, for Calvary, is this now like a resurgence for them? You think now, barring that Halifax loss, is this sort of now the cavalry that we're coming to expect to be to you know fight for that second best team in the league? I think it is. I'm quite excited by them the way they're playing at the moment. It might not be sort of full throttle football all game long, but they they seem to know what they're doing as a group. Like like I said about Halifax before, I don't I don't see players in here not buying in. I see like a group of team knowing what they're doing, like full respect for their coach and what he wants them to go out and do, and they go out and do it. Um, Intigny is showing a little bit more sort of uh, consistency and he's getting his goals from that. I think at the beginning he's a young player, so he's not going to be perfect every match and he's he's got his his faults and things that he's working on, but he's starting to look a little bit more comfortable and that just gives... Ali Moussi and Kamara, a little bit more space to go and do things because teams have got to worry about a few more players now in this team. And I think, yeah, it's going to, they're, they're a really interesting team to keep an eye on um, going forward. Yeah. And I, and if they continue this way, I think it'll be a great run to the finish for that second position mm. as there's a lot of teams that can rise up the ranks and, yeah. and fight for a second and third. Um, but moving on to our fourth and final match. Uh, a little bit of a long one, this one, uh, <laughs> is uh, the Vancouver against York United. This was the last match of the weekday on the second. Uh, this one finished 2-1 in favor of York. It was a fast start for both teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zusama Alou got a goal in the fourth minute before Sean Handal equalized in the sixth minute. And then it took up until the 79th minute for there to be a game winner. And that came through Ozaze de Rosario. Uh, yeah, exciting start to this match. Mike, what did you think about the opening moments from both teams and the way that uh, this game started? Yeah, I really thought this one could be a high score, a much higher score one with the way it started. Both, both yeah, attacks, yeah, looked so quick, didn't they? Um, Bahia down one side, um, the Santos in the other, they were, they were just really working well. And uh, Alou with a great little bit of interplay of Lacare, who's been like really key for York. He's there. He's like the metronome in the middle, isn't he? he just keeps everything yeah. ticking, defense and attack. He's been brilliant in that role, um, that role this season. And it was a great start from them, but it was really, really nice to see how Vancouver didn't let it get to the head. It could do the way that the difficult run they've been having this young team. Like you can, you can see at times, or you can expect at times that maybe it will get to the head and frustrations can kick in. But they look to stick to a game plan. They had Hundle up there who was making great runs off of the defence. I think they saw that Roger Thompson's not not the quickest anymore. Um, and they were looking for him to get in sort of behind him, but a little bit to the side. So he causing difficulties positionally for um, the centre-back and the full-back um, of York um, as he got in behind. And I mean, I think you, you'll want to 
rave about Anthony White's um, ball into him. Uh, it was a fantastic delivery from the uh, from the defender. Yeah, because here's the thing: we we've seen that Vancouver's sort of main plan is to go direct, mm. uh, but a lot of the times they struggle to actually put good quality balls in. Yeah, uh, but that one was per- picture perfect from mm. Anthony White. I mean, it was just above. Roger Thompson that he could only like get a little nick on it yeah. to try to to try to deal with it and then Sean Hondal, uh, fantastic control to get it uh, in front of him and then a good finish from him to tie it up and yeah I think all around I mean Vancouver especially in response to that goal attacked really well I think Kantav mm-hmm. did showed his quality why they brought him in because it took some pressure off Gabby Batar and yeah. Batar wasn't the only focal point and that meant that he had more space he was allowed to roam a bit more and find those those little pockets where he could threaten and he had a good opportunity as well off off a of volley um and uh, I think he had another shot afterwards that went just wide or, or yeah. high and uh yeah I just felt like Vancouver's attack was a lot more balanced now and Sean Hundel came back in the starting lineup and he did really well. I, I thought that he played well. Um, TJ Tahid, I think he had uh, he was probably the quietest out of the 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 front four that they had, but still by no means as we had, I think, a particularly bad game. Just that it finally Vancouver were relying on, on players above the age of, of 16. Yeah. <laughs> to 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 lead the line. So I thought that the way that Vancouver responded was really really good i was just a bit disappointed later in the match as they started to go direct Mm. from the goalie from irving and irving i think i don't know six or seven times irving put a ball over the top and new york immediately won it back and then and they basically just invited the pressure on and kept york in possession when they I think they have the quality to build out from the back. I mean, to, Ibrahim Bakare is actually turning into a, a pretty solid yeah. duo <laughs> double pivot there for uh, with with uh, Elliot Simmons uh, for for Ashingot. But I think he had a, a pretty decent performance, mm-hmm. and you know now they have a bit more of a platform there. They they're a lot, they can afford to be able to build out from the back have a bit more possession have a bit more control because i think with kantav now and batar they have a bit more space and and they can afford to to try to build through different avenues not just keep going direct Um, i think that's key with bringing in kantav because you can try and play out the back but if those attacking players aren't good at finding space then you're going to end up giving the ball away uh so bringing in kantav um Gives that you've now got him and Bitar working really well to find a bit of space in between lines. And if you can find them, all of a sudden there's a big break on. Whereas they didn't at times if 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 you're doing that and those forward players aren't moving. Um I mean TJ Tahid as well is a young player though. He's not gonna be he's still learning the game. Guy Sandoval hasn't been particularly um hasn't been particularly good. You've got other players who've gone forward. Kinani, I thought, was good when he came on, had a really good game, but still another player, young player, learning to find those positions regularly. But Kantav and Bitar have got that quality to find those spaces and it, it gives you the chance. And if you can mix that up, then that long direct ball to uh, Sean Hundel, which we saw a few times, he can take the ball in his stride so well on attack. Um you can, yeah, add that dual threat, which I think Vancouver is slowly trying to build towards. Yeah, yeah, because I think that's a much better 
for them to be able to build in that way rather than try to hoof it up and hope that they get it yeah. because a lot of the times it didn't mm. and then invited York and that's why York had so much possession throughout a lot large periods of this match and I mean for York it, it, they got the win um, and on one hand you could feel like maybe Vancouver deserved to get something from the match because they played relatively well but York created a lot of chances throughout the 90. I mean, they, I I was looking at the stats, they created six big chances, but they missed five of them. And I think most of that falls to Brian Wright. Mm. And I know a little inside joke that me and Mike have is that Mike makes sometimes the mistake of writing Brian (laughs) Wright as Brian White from the Vancouver Whitecaps. Well, (laughs) Brian Wright looked like Brian White from the beginning of the season from the Vancouver Whitecaps because like Brian White at the beginning of the season, Brian Wright couldn't buy a goal. He had so many great opportunities one-on-one with a keeper or in the box, off across to, to put a ball into the back of the net but it just struggled mm. whether it was unlucky because it like bounced like it kissed off the post or it just went wide or the mm. keeper pulled out a great save he just struggled to score and it almost felt like york were going to come away with this with only a point when they had the chances to make it three mm. three um points on the board but in the end it took some player that we have been calling on for a while to show up for York, and that was Ozaze de Rosario. Yeah. What were your thoughts on Brian Wright's uh, sort of <laughs> misfires in front of the Nets and how Ozaze came in and and cleaned it up for York? Yeah, I think, I mean, Brian Wright had a lot of chances. His main chances all came in that first half, like the, the number-wise, and I think that came a little bit down to... James Cameron having a really tough time at right back, which meant sort of Rocco Romeo was probably looking to cover, knowing that he was having a lot of difficulties. Um, briefly on his point, though, he he played out the game and it was nice to see Ashin Gotby show a lot of confidence in a young player who was going through a difficult time against some really talented wingers um, from York. But he got back into the game and he did. He, he had a much better second half. Um uh, apart from one or two minor um two bits which could have where he was beaten by Petrasso especially but he got those chances in the first half Brian right couldn't take them second half was the the toughest one where it was a I don't know whether it would have been offside but it was some great movement in running off the defender and had that left foot shot saved by um Callum Irving and at that point you knew it was like okay yeah it's not going to be his day in front of goal once again and hasn't scored yet this season and it just he seemed very frustrated and it's not it's um it was very much head down and just put your laces through rather than looking up and deciding where the where the player was and with the De Rosario one like I have to ask you as well once I get to the end of the list it was so bizarre how York had taken out their entire three-man attacking midfield role Lafaray was put mm. into the 10 and three new players were brought into the midfield and Brian Wright was given that chance to continue up there um Lafaray is he's not a 10 I think he's so good in that six he's controlling the game in the middle he's fantastic but once he went in went into that 10 position you just he's he's not quick he's he's not going to be breaking like getting like finding space that way De Rosario's brought in and having that one-two punch with him and Brian Wright gave him the opportunity he was a bit slow within I mean he got a chance five seconds after walking onto the pitch um, which mm. uh, got a chance was a bit slow at trying to get the um, shot away 
Very fortunate though, wasn't he, from the goal with the uh, and and, and that's yeah, what... it was a huge deflection. Yeah. I think it was off <laughs> Quark, I think it was. Yeah, that's right. I think that's what him and Brian Wright need at the moment. They need a bit of luck, and De Rosario's got it. Uh, Brian Wright's probably looking at it and going, I wish that was me because you just need that yeah. chance to like just accidentally go in and it might spur something. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but that just seems to be what it is. I mean. De Rosario later, how did he not make it 3-1? Like he beats a few players and blasts wide. So maybe that like it's those two strikers are really hard to um trust regularly, I think. And that's what we're finding from from the two of those. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know how De Rosario <laughs> he did all of the hard work, yeah. beat everyone at the <laughs> death there, and then just skied it. And then just, yeah, you could see, I think it was Elijah Adekubi just yeah. head in hands, couldn't believe yeah. it. And I think everyone was that, just head in hands, couldn't yeah. believe what we just witnessed there. Because, yeah, York had the opportunities to make it much worse for uh, Vancouver. Even though Vancouver, I think, like I said, had a pretty good performance. I think it was one of their better performances yes. this season, despite the results. I think a big, big you know, uh, factor for that was... I think Elliot Simmons coming back in. Uh, don't really know where he went for a few weeks. Maybe it was injury or illness or something, but he came back into that sixth position in the, in that double pivot with Bakari. And I think he was very, very solid there. And then, yeah, Cantave just gave a different dimension, that dimension that Vancouver have been screaming for throughout the first part of the season. And, and he was a huge help, even though, you know, he wasn't super, super involved. It just gave, you know, other players more space more room to breathe and that in itself is a huge asset and uh you know one thing that comes of this is you know with Cantave coming in what does that mean for a player like Sandoval and it's you know there have been rumors flying around that perhaps Sandoval's short time at Vancouver FC might be over for you, Mike, do you think that's the right call for Sandoval? Do you think that Cantave is a better player for Vancouver and they should move a player like Sandoval on for maybe a, a different kind of profile in the attack or maybe a, a bringing in a proper six? What do you think about it? I mean, Cantave was really good. He added in these moments where, I mean, players were forming triangles and like when they get the ball forward, they're forming triangles, one touch play and trying to break through. And he was helping Bitar link play, which we had one game and I forget which one it was, maybe two or three games into the season where Sandoval, Bitar, and Handel looked really good. They had a really good relationship in that one game. But other than that, I haven't really seen it. And Sandoval just hasn't lived up to the excitement that came with him um, on this signing. I think maybe that was built up too much um possibly and um, that's made it difficult for him um i'm not there i don't know um but he's it's not work it's not really working for him he's not he doesn't seem to be fitting into this team Kantav comes in with some cpo experience he he's used to he's been playing he's a bit more of an understanding of the teams he's going up against the style of play in this league um and i i I, I, it just seems like Sandoval's really struggled to settle. Um, and for someone who, like yourself, who goes and watches it, uh, who sort of sees them live regularly, I, I, I just fail to see at the moment how he's going to turn that around and be a really dangerous player for this team. And when you've got sort of an international player coming into that squad, 
and you've got other areas where you might want to um, strengthen. I can only imagine if you're bringing him in from abroad, he's paid a little bit more than others. Um, yeah. Or maybe he's, and unfortunately for him, I think he's got a uh, a shorter time period to prove himself and than some other players, especially these young players who will be given time to adapt. I don't think Sandoval comes with that luxury. Um, and if it's not working, then maybe they want to make a decision quicker uh, than they had planned. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do um, do with Sandoval. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it was, you could describe it perfectly because on the opposite side for York, they had a player on that right-hand side in Clement Bahia. And that was a player that you think that's what Vancouver need because Baia mm. was such a threat on that right side. He was creating so many chances. He was, you know, beating his man. He, he I think he had the most dribbles in the match mm. with six. And that's a kind of player that you want as a winger because he is both like that 1v1 dribbly techie winger and also creates chances. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were expecting that from Gael mm. Sandoval because he's not, you know, in his 30s, he's still only 27, 28, but it was just lacking. I think for me, the biggest thing for him is just, he just doesn't look like that high performance athlete right now. It's his fitness. Mm. It just looks like he's letting it down. He seems disinterested, but I don't know if it's his own, the way his own, own mental thing, or it's just like his body isn't up to par with the rest of the players around him and in and, and the league. So, yeah, it's sad to see if this is the end of Gael Sandoval because there was so much expected of him. But, I mean, it's, I think, would be very smart from the club to cut their losses early on. on I mean, they, they're not afraid of it, you know. They've mm-hmm. um, they cut ties with uh, uh, with Robe earlier this week um, that was announced alongside the Cantavis signing with uh, Mal Henri going the other way to Cavalry. And I think, you know, as well as signing some players, maybe it's time to let some players go that haven't impressed. And I think, you know, as sad as it is sometimes with these players, that's the game. And mm-hmm. especially Vancouver, who this is their first year, their expansion year. They want to build towards the future. They want to build success and they want to start things off right. And it hasn't been the best of starts, so they want to fix it as soon as possible so they can get back on track and i think that's that's what you want to see from a club who who wants to compete and wants to be up there with the big boys so yeah i think it'll be interesting to see how vancouver continue their their transfer window but yeah overall this match i think it was a pretty decent performance from them probably one of their better performances that we've seen um with that the, the game against york and the game against forge are probably the top three despite the fact that they lost this game yeah. and uh for you i mean moving forward there was a lot of positives for vancouver but they still lost mm-hmm. at home their next match as we had already mentioned is another home match this time against the high-flying halifax mm-hmm. do you do you see them being able to beat Halifax right now in their form? Do you think that with the inclusion of Cantabe, they they have the ability to go head-to-head with Halifax and and um, potentially get another home win? Or what are your thoughts? I would like to say that they can't get a, um, get something out of the game because we know 
he said that about them going that Forge will go and have an easy game against them and Forge ended up losing. So Yeah, very they, true. Yeah. They I I think the Kantov Podcaster's signing, curse. Exactly. <laughs> the Kantov signings really I think it's really gonna help. Um it's gonna help players around him as well as his impact um on the game. There's still things that they're gonna have to work out. They're they're still a young team, so things are gonna go up and down. Um and the they, as much as I really enjoy Bakari and I really like him as a player, I think they will look for an upgrade alongside Simmons or someone who can be a little bit better with the ball, a little bit more. I mean, you're not going to go out and grab a, Cal- a Caligari as easy as that, but someone in yeah. that sort of mould who's going to be hard, he's going to be worked well off the ball, but he's got that quality uh, in possession, um, which I think will really open things up because... They've got the opportunity. I mean, I'm really, really impressed with uh, Sean Hundle. I think he's been a great, they're one of their best signings um, when he's on his game. But so, so often he's like, there's been quite a few games where he's just not really been involved as very much and he's looked frustrated. But if you can get the best out of him with with some of these other players being brought in around him, it, it just shows they've, they, they've got something in there that can really, really... Um, show signs of improvement yeah yeah like and that's the thing they have the potential they have especially in in the youth players they they have shown you know moments of quality moments of brilliance it's just trying to hone that and contain that and Mm -hmm. cultivate that and to do that you need the right more experienced players around them to mold them into it and that's what makes a successful team and I think that it will be huge for Vancouver moving forward to try to add a couple of more experienced pieces in those important places, like at a six, mm-hmm. like in the attack, maybe even in the, in the defense to try to, you know, kind of steady the ship more and make them able to compete on a more consistent basis. And for York, uh, another win for them. Um, they continue to to sometimes get results in, in games where uh, maybe you expect them not to, uh, even though they had the most chances this one. But, uh, you know, ever since that great run that they have, they've been a little inconsistent with, like, win-loss, draw-loss. Now a win. They face Forge at home, the 905 Derby. How do you see them faring against the misfiring champs? And do you think that they can uh, kind of take this win in stride and and bring it to to forge in their own home ground i think so i mean york is so hard like they, i mean they're so hard to uh, really get an idea of in game laparay was put under a lot of pressure early in this game by like bitar and Kantav, and that stopped them being able to like it took them quite a long time to be able to get a grip of the game and control it like they seem to want to um sort of in possession so be if they can if if they can keep him open on the ball and dictating play then they they've got the ability they've got these players around the fact that they managed to take out their entire like we said their entire front three of attacking midfielders and bring in players who went and caused trouble Pedrasso coming in causing issues off the left hand side moving around they've got weapons all over the pitch it's just you sometimes their, their strikers just aren't scoring regularly um that's their biggest problem they're 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 requiring someone to step up each week uh and start um, converting the chances and that that's going to be their issue going forward i think de rosario has shown 
a bit about why there's a lot of excitement around him, but he's still a young player, still learning. Um, so we'll have to see what comes with them. But I think they've got the ability to work hard, uh, control games when they give when they can get Lapare free. I, I think the biggest question is obviously watching this game. Like if they do hit the playoffs, which they seem to be, like what's going to happen without these under twenty one minutes? How do they how do they catch up? They need well over like one hundred and fifteen minutes a game now from U twenty one players. Yeah, somehow I feel like York United are going to try to climb the table as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And then in the last, like, seven games, just yeah. throw on all the kids to try to get <laughs> the 21 minutes. Because that seems to be the way that they're doing it. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to be able to manage it. Because, yeah, they don't get the under 21 minutes. They're not getting into the playoffs. So I, it's going to be, yeah, I don't know what the plan is for that. But uh yeah, like you said, I think the 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 attack, especially in that striker position, needs a lot. There's a lot there to be desired. I would like to see um, Marnash rely a bit more, or or not rely on, but kind of give more of a chance for Ozaze because he has shown glimpses. I think he just needs a bit more patience, and mm. he's shown how great of a goal scorer. Like, you can't forget about last season. Yeah. I don't think that's just simply a purple patch for him. I think he's just, you know, he needs that kind of support to have him find that spark again that that he had uh last season and and if he gets that then york will be uh have a great opportunity moving forward yeah. to 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 solidify themselves in in those playoff spots you know if they get the under 21 minutes managed <laughs> um and you know uh, go towards a strong end for the season But uh, that is all for this week's recap. We're now going to go into our player of the week segment. Mike, as always, I will start with you. What was your player of the week? I've got to go with Daniel Mimic. Um, Really good defensive display throughout. Um, He showed great composure on the ball as well, um, playing out from the back. When he, I mean, I like you mentioned that the amount of time it took from the penalty call to be given to the penalty taken, I was still in disbelief that Dan Nimick had the ball in his hand and was stepping up. It was um, a first year pro coming in there in the hundredth minute and was so composed to take it. I mean, I'm not sure if he would have taken it if players like Aidan Daniels are still on the pitch, but he's the one that's taken it on his shoulders with so much pressure, puts it away, deserved it fully um, for his performance. And yeah, really, really great to see from him. And is a really good, really good um, new addition to the league. Yeah, he's he's quickly cementing himself as one of the most solid centre-backs in the league, which mm-hmm. is incredible considering this is his first year. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, that was also, that was the easy choice, I think. Yeah. I think that would be mine <laughs> as well. But uh, I, I'm going to go for Insigni. Because mm. I think he was electric, and he's I love I love me a pacey, tricksy winger. It's one <laughs> of the reasons why Salouf I think is probably yeah. has been my favorite player this season. But at the same time, Antigny has that ability too. He has that lightning quick pace. He can just get off the mark and beat pretty much anybody. Yeah, and the way that he set up that Camargo chance where he almost waited for the 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 two Valor players to get in the way of each other, and then just ran past them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he just has such an ability to like draw a turn on the drop of the dime and 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 drop his shoulder and switch directions. That is so exciting to see. And he created uh, the most chances I think in the in the game. 
And yeah, he just had a really, really good performance. Very happy that he learned the offside rule. <laughs> yeah. <and> he stayed <laughs> in line with his defenders this time and didn't make the same mistakes last time. And yeah, he's such an exciting player that um, I think Cavalry have been wanting a player like him that just the, the way that they play works, but mm. sometimes they lack that little bit of excitement, a little bit of a flair. And this Antigone brings so much of that. Mm. And I, you know, last week we mentioned that the way that he runs with the ball at times reminds me of Alfonso Davies. That run against uh, with uh, for Camargo was exactly that. That was a very Davies-esque run. And uh, I think if he can channel that more and more, he can potentially reach those heights as well. Mm. So, yeah, very exciting player. And it was a very yeah. fun one to watch. Cavalry, Cavalry did so well in this one as well of getting the best out of him where they sort of encourage Valor up the field a little bit because as soon as he sees that space, put it in behind the defender. He's gone. No one's catching him. <laughs> Yeah, he's gone. So yeah, very, very well played. And if Tommy can keep doing that for him, then it's only going to get better for both of them. But that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Make sure to follow us once again on Twitter so that you can give us your thoughts on each of this week's episodes. And hey, if you have any interesting facts, stats, or questions about this episode or any episodes that we've done before, let us know if there are any players, pundits, coaches, analysts that you would like to hear from on the show. Go on our socials to let us know either the Coast to Coast FC one or even our personal one at Felipe V underscore FC for myself and at Mike Rice 1983 for Mike or on Reddit and Facebook because we're also posting that more and more as Twitter has become a little bit more unreliable <laughs> lately. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, interact with us and we might get a shout out on the next show. But until next time, I'm Felipe Ojejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And this has been Coast to Coast FC, signing out.